1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You
0: all right? The Champions League is back, therefore, so are we, on the What If Football podcast with another episode of Le Grandes Equipes, this time continuing our lineage 2008-09 season. Manchester United are the champions of Europe. It is a grand old time for English football, Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea. Barcelona have got some new manager apparently, and we're set for a great season. Let's get stuck in Welcome to the Champions League, to Le Grandes keeps for the 2008-09 season. And let's start in Italy. Why not? In the history of four teams per big European footballing nation, so Italy, Spain, England, throw Germany in there, mix them with Italy as we uh, move through the 2010s, I suppose. Italy have had four teams for all but... One season since 2002 3 into the knockout phase. They've been fairly dominant in the mid 2000s, if you look at especially the 2002 3 season, obviously an all Italian final for one, but also Chuck in there into Milan in the semi finals. Milan's three finals across five seasons having a lot to uh, do with the Italian dominance. Of course, we are in a post Calciopoli world. So Juventus obviously not consistently troubling like they had done prior, one final, two quarterfinals around the sort of mid to uh, early to mid two thousands there, and even Roma in recent years we've seen to fill their void slightly, um, but they've not made their third quarter final in a row. Of course, with uh, Manchester United, their previous uh, tormentor seven one etc. Juventus, so they were back this time unfortunately wouldn't make that quarter-final. They were quick to bounce out to uh, Chelsea in the last 16. Now fortunes really change. If you look at 2002-03, Chelsea were just fighting to uh, qualify for the Champions League. Juventus were one of the kings of Europe, of course. That has a lot to do with money and scandal and things off the pitch rather than on it, I suppose. Um, Juventus so they had a, a bit of a promising group, really went undefeated against the likes of Real Madrid, obviously still record holders at this point, and some new names, some new Eastern European names uh, in Zenit St. Petersburg and Bate Borisov. And in terms of big names missing, like we had Bayern Munich last time out, AC Milan weren't qualified for the first time since 2001-2. Only two seasons ago, they were champions of Europe Even in Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan too. Obviously, he was gone from Chelsea by this point. He's beached in in Milan, if you can beach in Milan. Um, But uh, even they didn't make it to the quarterfinals. So, Italy really a paltry return here. They were defeated by... Manchester United, of course, in the last 16, Champions of Europe, form team of the time, how these days um, feel a long, long time ago, don't they? So it's the first time since 2002, so we're talking here seven years, that it wasn't an Italian representation in the quarterfinals, something that's been prevalent in the modern times as well. 2021, 2022, both seasons didn't have any Italian representation in the quarterfinals. And this is why we see the beginning of the end of Italy having four teams in the Champions League. They would lose that, of course, lose that privilege to the likes of Germany. Obviously, that would be um, rectified by UEFA reformatting in good time. But uh, So Germany, Italy, uh, England and Spain always will have four teams in the uh, Champions League. And who knows how many moving forward as... uh, European football becomes more westernised. But in terms of Italian football, whilst it is now, I believe, in my opinion, probably one of the more entertaining products of football on the continent, if I was going to choose a game that wasn't the Premier League to watch, it would be probably between Serie A and and the Bundesliga for me at this time, depending on, you know, obviously who's playing. But if it was a game that I didn't have much care for, it would probably be... Serie A or the Bundesliga but in that case it is teams from Spain, England, PSG sometimes as well who are making the latter stage of the Champions League and rather it's German teams outside of Bayern of course and Italian teams who tend to be the ones who are picked off quite quickly in the knockout phases of the uh, the Champions League whilst we have a rather a Spanish, an English... Sometimes Bayern dominated competition currently. Hopefully that changes. We see more uh, representation around Europe. And speaking of Bayern, well, in 2008-09, they're fully in the wilderness years here. They missed the prior season, shockingly, having to make do with a, a UEFA Cup game at home to Bolton, of course, and they had returned as German champions. We were soon to see uh, Louis van Gaal. Um And really, to be fair, in terms of Bayern, they'd not really troubled the elite since the 2001 final that they, of course, won their long-awaited fourth European Cup, we've seen them get a quarter-final exit in 2002, group phase exit in 2003, and then a a myriad of last-16s and quarter-finals, which they alternated on before dropping out of the competition altogether. Had they qualified the prior year, the pattern states of last-16 quarter-final, last-16 quarter-final, it would have been a last-16 exit anyway and um, this essentially just skipped that last 16 exit and go straight back to a quarterfinal defeat now perhaps understandably here though um, a defeat against a an incredibly good Barcelona team Bayern did traverse the groups undefeated they put 12 beyond sporting in the last 16 across two legs of course and you've got here a rejuvenation really of Tony Cruz, Mirosav Klosa, Frank Ribéry, Bastian Schweinsteiger, we would see Ian Robin, we would see Thomas Muller going forward. And obviously with Louis van Hall, you have there the beginnings of a Bayern team that are on the way up. But for now, it's foundational stuff. It's getting beaten by a team that are probably the best in Europe. We'll discuss it later on, of course, being 2009. But a good, a good start to maybe rising from the ashes. In terms of European football now, of course, in Germany, Bayern were obviously not the 10-in-a-row behemoth that they are now, but they were quite regularly champions of Germany. You dip it out a little bit for a Wolfsburg or a Werder Bremen, sometimes even a Borussia Dortmund. But they were there or thereabouts, and always in the top one or two, um, with uh, very few exceptions. Obviously, the previous two years were some of that, but they are. They are on the way back up. Um, in terms of Real Madrid, though, in European football, they're still struggling. They did finish level on points with Juventus in the group, won one more game than them, but essentially Juventus beat them home and away, so stuck them to second. And as a result, Real Madrid were handed Liverpool in the last 16. Possibly one of the worst teams they could have faced, especially with a second leg away from home. This wasn't 2006 where Real Madrid were... Overwhelming favourites and losing thanks to a an ingenious moment from Thierry Henry at the Bernabeu. This was a Real Madrid side by this point that were permanently stuck in a funk that necessitates the the return of Florentino Perez that returns to the the club to the state of Galacticos. Now, of course, we'll talk about this more after Christmas with the 2009-10 um, season review of the Champions League, but. They were, because of this malaise in Europe, because of the another season of a, a last 16 exit, losing 4-0 to Liverpool at Anfield. It does necessitate this return to the Galacticos, to potentially doing what Bayern Munich were on a similar course to do, and they would obviously become entangled in semi-finals and, and the like in the Champions League. In terms of getting onto that path, it, they were just a year behind um, Bayern Munich, and that really does show in the in the history of the the roll call, the, the success of the Champions League. When we see the winners of the next few years, Bayern Munich come first, Real Madrid shortly follow afterwards. And it was just essentially that Real Madrid were on the path a little bit behind Bayern Munich, and it does show in this um, in this season as well. And the the intervention was was welcomed at the Bernabeu with the eye opening loss. At Anfield. In terms of Liverpool, they had come across an incredible formula. Of course, they had Fernando Torres come in the prior season. By this point, Rafa Benitez had struck gold, essentially. Fernando Torres as a number nine, Stephen Gerrard further forward as a number 10. You've got Javier Mascherano and Jabi Alonso. If you think about that midfield now, that is an incredible midfield three, isn't it? And you've got obviously your likes of your Dirk Coutts doing the busy workout wide, and he was an underrated but phenomenal player for Liverpool at the time. It was a a first title push for a generation. A team that, in Liverpool, they were resigned to just good cup runs. Now, of course, 2001 being the, you know, the uh, the landmark for that, but also of course the Champions League runs in 2005, 2007, and here with the potency up front and a, and a probably one of the, probably the best midfield of the time in in terms of the Premier League, certainly. You had a team that could challenge again. I believe in 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 numerous fronts. Of course, he ran Man United close in the Premier League. Steven Jard, you could always rely on him to dip into hero mode every now and then, scoring a couple against Marseille, scoring a late penalty against Atletico Madrid, scoring a winner against Marseille. And that's before we even get to the to the knockout stages. Of the obliterate Real Madrid at Anfield, thanks to, in part to to a, uh, a stunning Steven Jard performances, and it essentially puts the entirety of Europe. On notice they get to the quarterfinals and who's waiting for them there than uh, then an old familiar and we'll check them out after this short break when we, we banish the pretenders to the first half of the show and look at the true contenders for the European trophy. Welcome back. Yes, we are still in the noughties. This is still noughties nostalgia. So when I say Liverpool have got an old familiar in the Champions League, of course we mean It's Chelsea. So Chelsea were long, long ago um, got rid of Jose Mourinho. They shockingly got rid of Avram Grant after that uh, eight months of uh, his, I guess. Uh, And now they were back in the market for a a supremely successful manager and they handpicked a guy who had taken Portugal to the brink of success that had run roughshod over Brazilian football winning the World Cup. Their fifth... And so far, final World Cup. Luis Felipe Scalari, and it seemed a positive enough decision. Seemed a good transition, really, um, from Mourinho slightly obdurate. Of course, yes, Portuguese-speaking, whatever. That don't think that makes much... Um, isn't really pertinent. But similar brand of football, supremely successful, of course. By February, though, he's sacked. So by the time Liverpool and Chelsea get to their annual almost biannual reunion in Europe he's gone he's replaced by Gus Hiddink and essentially Gus Hiddink has to save the club um in order to get back into the Champions League and qualify for the top four you think of the mid-2000s and you think of Barclays football it's it's Chelsea it's Man United Arsenal Liverpool and it's usually in that order Uh, some may get shuffled around a little bit but it's fairly um Fairly contained in that four, but now you've got Everton, you've got Aston Villa, you've got Tottenham, you've got Man City. And Chelsea were, it was between Chelsea and Liverpool, maybe Arsenal as well. In this season, in particular, Chelsea were at very risk of um, dropping out of that top four. But Gus Hiddink does a stunning rescue job, has to then go and uh, take on the uh, mantle of uh, the Russian national team. So can't stick around, but in terms of... His rescue job here, even better than the second one when he had the, the the mess of Jose Mourinho in twenty late 2015, early 2016. FA Cup win, comfortable in top four, and of course, Chelsea versus Liverpool in the quarterfinals. Last season, we got Chelsea versus Liverpool, of course, but it wasn't Mourinho versus Rafael Benitez, and it was awash with goals. This season, we got Chelsea versus Liverpool wasn't Mourinho versus Rafa Benitez. Still, Rafa Benitez, of course, a constant throughout this rivalry. And it had even more goals. Now we had nil-nils, plenty, one-nil here and there. Here is 7-5 on aggregate, <laughs> which is uh, something we see a lot more of these days, certainly not in the 2000s. And I don't think we can attribute the fluid attack in football of either tiki-taka or gegenpressing pressing that was still consigned to, to regions of... Bundesliga and La Liga in teams like Borussia Dortmund and uh, and Barcelona at this stage, so you can't...
1: Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favourite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Praise this for the attacking football that swept the continent because football is still really in between these two sort of modes. Defensive football we were just about to creep out of with you know the prevalence of Mourinho and Benitez winning the big ones. We were sort of in between here. Um, in terms of 7-5 on aggregate, this is probably something that you'd see more in 2022. Not so much in the 2000s. A bit of an outlier, really. And in terms of a constant, in terms of English football, we had Arsenal. We had Arsene Wenger, of course. But Wenger had one hell of a transition on his hands. I and mean, Of course, we've, we're a long way off the, the transition that Wenger was forced into with no money and all his legends leaving. So we have the likes of Aaron Ramsey, Samir Nasri, Andre Ash having joined the likes of Adebayor, Van Persie, Theo Walcott, Jack Wilshere as well, you could uh, throw into there. They'd had a a fairly young roster of exciting players, and in terms of their most recent experience in the Champions League, you've got looking at a last 16 exit, you're looking at a quarter final exit as well. In terms of Champions League, here the turning point is a last sixteen at the Olympico, Arsenal versus Roma, with a potential Villarreal quarter final, which could have been a bit of a revenge mission for the uh, the yellow submarine there after 2006. But if you're given that as an Arsenal fan, in terms of returning to the semi final for only the second time in the club's history, in terms of the European Cups, Champions League. Bite your hand off, all they had to do was win the penalty shootout against Roma, a very good Roma team, which we've, of course, discussed in the previous episodes of this podcast. And they do so, and that's a bit of a catalyst for Arsenal. Arsenal's 3-0 win at Highbury, much different from the uh, from the 1-0 across two legs in 2006. And the semi-final against Manchester United, who I believe had lost a tiny little bit of um, fluidity, really, in plumping for... Dimitar Berbatov ahead of, of course, Carlos Tevez. Serves to alienate Tevez. We'll obviously dig deeper into his time in the Champions League later on um, with a different club, of course. And we have Cristiano Ronaldo on the brink of an exit. Obviously, won the European Cup scored a goal, may have missed the uh, the penalty in the shootout, but a European champion, nonetheless, he was given 12 months. He could leave under any circumstances given a bid from Real Madrid was fairly imminent with their soon-to-be revitalised Galacticos philosophy. So you have here essentially two names out of the door for United, a little bit less fluid than in the previous season, but still an experienced core, an incredibly astute defence. Patrice Evra, Vidic, more than acclimatised to the club now. Rio Ferdinand, of course, rock at the back. Edwin van der Sar likewise. Gary Neville was even back and Rotated in and amongst with uh, Rafael De Silva. And they needed to be uh, resolute. You've got Villarreal. So in terms of the 2000s, Manchester United and Villarreal, automatically nil-nil. That was just the dumb thing. They've played each other a number of times. Every game has been a draw. So that is what happened here. Nil-nil, both home and away, as it was in 2005. Only this time, obviously, Manchester United qualifying. that was in... In the midst of a tough away day at Celtic, a bit of an unknown against Alborg as well, but uh, four points was taken from each of those and it necessitated qualification. And even with Ronaldo on the way out, almost an open secret that he was leaving, whilst he didn't hit the goal heights of 2008, I don't think he was ever going to do that really in terms of the Premier League at the time, 42 goals in that season. He was still incredibly important. So... A header against Inter Milan. Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan. A very good team in the second leg at Old Trafford in the last 16. And then, to be put it bluntly, the Thunder bastard to end all Thunder bastards against Porto in the Dragao. Pretty nervy 2-2 draw at Old Trafford in the quarterfinals. And then an absolute bolt from the blue to beat the Blues in Porto. And um, and then his performance in the second leg against Arsenal was just uh, heroic, wasn't it? The, the free kick, which... Tries to outdo the the Porto goal. Um, I would say it's... I can't tell if it's a bit further out. Obviously, it's on an angle. I mean, the goalkeeper should save it, in my opinion. Obviously, hit at some speed. Um, but 35 yards out, there's some time to react. In terms of the Porto goal, it's a bit higher up and a bit more in the corner. I'd, I, you can probably blame Manuel El for that goal. But in terms of the breakaway goal in the second half to make it 3-0 on the night, 4-0 on aggregate, really shows United's dominance, shows Ronaldo is the best player in the world at that time. At that time, does hold the number one up to show he is the best. I did note that to the Arsenal fans in attendance at the Emirates, which meant we had a final that pitted Manchester United with Barcelona, who had undergone quite the change since we last discussed them in the Champions League, losing to Man United in a 1-0 aggregate loss in the semifinals a prior year. Key players such as Ronaldinho, Deco, they were gone. Frank Reichardt was gone as manager. And in in their place was the returning name of Gerard Pique from United, Dani Alves signed from Sevilla, and Sergio Busquets plucked from the vaunted academy of La Masia. And, of course, La Masia product in terms of, as a player and as a manager too, Pep Guardiola, which changed the entire culture at the club, changed Barcelona. Incredibly, how Samuel Eto'o might have gone had Guardiola had all of his way, but unfortunately, he made do for the time being. We'd have to wait a little bit to see Lionel Messi shunted into that number nine role. But we have Thierry Henry on the left, Lionel Messi on the right, and what is now considered a legendary midfield—if not the best midfield of all time—I probably would state that he's the best midfield of all time, but. In terms of of its time, certainly Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, ludicrous, and then you've got a, a defence really that an, an all-time defence as well. You've got Alves who allows Messi to come inside as, an, as a false nine, ten, whatever you want to, whatever number you want to uh, attribute uh, to him. You've got Eric Abidal, supremely good defender, and then Gerard Piquet, Carlos Puyol at centre half. Yeah, it's just an all-time great team, isn't it? And uh, there's nothing I can say that will improve. Their stature here—they are just football at its fluid best. Football that is seen as the right way to do it. Four-three-three, ultra fluid. Obviously, the 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 descendants of Johan Cruyff, both as a player for the Netherlands and as a manager for Barcelona. The seventies, the nineties. We wait another generation, and we have got essentially their offspring, and it is born out of obviously Guardiola. Um, him being plucked from La Masia in the early 90s and now some 20 years on berths. Quite possibly the greatest club team ever will, of course, chart their highs and their slightly lower highs in the in the next three episodes of this podcast when we look at Champions League here. But the the scoring by the bucket load, the, all 11 players are intrinsically linked, almost telepathically. Basel, Sporting, Shakhtar, Lyon, even Bayern Munich absolutely wiped the floor with the semi-final though. It was 0-0 at home to an English club just like the prior year. Once it was Manchester United, now it's Chelsea. And the return leg in England, the opponents score an early goal just like the prior year. Here it's Sen, then it was Paul Scholes. And yes, this was the idealistic football played at almost the perfect level by Barcelona this season. They'd won the league, they'd won the copper. Now all they needed to do to be gain immortality was to win the, the Champions League. And really, in the semi-final against Chelsea, they drop a clangor. They, they're not playing the way they should. They only have one shot on target. Now, if you think about... Barcelona football, Guardiola football, flip that and that's usually the norm. They only allow their their opponents to have one shot on target, if any, let's be honest. In football, you can play all the idealistic football that you want, skill, talent, tactics, whatever, if it comes out good. Normally, sometimes you have an off day. This was Barcelona's off day, but the thing that caught Barcelona here in this night for me at Stamford Bridge in April or May 2009, whatever it was, was luck. They strike lucky with numerous penalty decisions that go their way. Yes, there's no conspiracy because Eric Abidal gets sent off. There's no conspiracy to have Barcelona win the Champions League. Sorry to disappoint you, but there is that luck. And in terms of Andres Iniesta's goal, he would he's not that type of player to absolutely just thunderbolt one into the top corner. He does so. Catches it incredibly cleanly. Goes into the top corner. Barcelona escape with the away goals victory. And yes, the history of post, post Mourinho and pre-Ancelotti Chelsea's fit into a very small window and it's not seen as you know great football, not, not really successful football. And Guardiola's Barcelona is this huge monster of how football should be. But on that night, Chelsea were by far the better team. And luck plays a part and look. Somewhat look, Darren Fletcher being suspended for the final, but Barcelona outplay Manchester United. Not to the extent that we would see in a couple of years' time, but that's for another episode. Uh, Barcelona, all they have to do, essentially, is withstand Ronaldo in God mode for the first 10 minutes where he flashes about five or six shots wide. He knows he's leaving. He wants to leave on a high with the Champions League, of course, and he's trying to do everything himself. But then when the game settles in, the midfield gets a chance to gain control, then you see Barcelona at their... Not quite their peak, but quite close to it in this season. Samuel scores their opener and Lionel Messi scores their header. It's not quite men against boys as what the 2011 final is, but it is certainly a Barcelona team vastly improved on the performances where they lost to Manchester United the prior year. And, of course... Manchester United had lost a little bit of something since the, the previous year. Barcelona gained immeasurably, in my opinion, obviously, with a transition. Not so much in terms of players, but obviously manager. And here you have quite a clear 2-0 win for Barcelona. Well deserved, obviously. And um we'll see, we'll chart a Barcelona's dominance, rise and rise again. Um as treble winners here, but there is a lot more to give tactically. They change pretty much most years. We see Guardiola in the new camp dugout and we will move forward with them going forward into next year. But next on Wednesdays on the Sports Social Podcast Network, we've got World Cup content. Yes, it's about time we tick down the weeks, the days, the minutes until the World Cup and from now on in, essentially... The What If Football feed on the Sports Social Podcast Network is dedicated to the FIFA World Cup, to the jewels remain. I guess it would be a piffy way to call the podcast, wouldn't it? But that is how we are going to be releasing content right up until the end of the year. World Cup, World Cup, World Cup, World Cup, until your ears start to bleed. So hopefully you enjoy that one. <laughs> We're also on the pitch, on every day during the World Cup as well. We've Great games of World Cup history gone by, so go over there and check us out for £1 for the month. If you don't want to listen to other stuff that we do, just cancel at the end of the year. It's fine, but we'll be there every single day, Sunday to Sunday, every single day. World Cup great game. You've got Scotland against the Netherlands from 1978. You've got Brazil-Germany from 2014 and everything in between, essentially. Um, Anything that the World Cup's done well... In terms of matches, great games, Italy-Brazil, 1982. We've got everything, everything in there. So go check that out as well. And we'll be here. World Cup Daily, every, every, yeah, every single day. Rewind's in there as well. We'll also re-release them on YouTube as well. So we've got a lot of stuff planned. Stick around. And until next time, thank you very much. And see you.